0: to a new episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today. She is a verification expert, a thought leader with a wealth of industry knowledge and expertise. Please help me welcome Ashley Wood, Vice President of Mortgage Verification Services at Equifax. Ashley, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Michael, and it's a great pleasure to be here today with you, and I look forward to our conversation. It is great to
0: have you. As I mentioned, you have a wealth of industry knowledge and experience. For our listeners who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how did you get into financial services?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I have a little bit of a unique career journey. So I actually started out as a financial analyst, believe it or not. And I progressed through the finance department, and ultimately, and I you know, held a few different roles in that, all within Equifax predominantly. And then I ultimately became the senior financial officer for verification services. So not only did that include the mortgage industry, it included FinTech, so consumer finance, or card, auto, background screening, government. So I ran all of those as a financial officer. That's really whenever I developed a big passion for sales and strategy and go-to-market, things of that sort, which ultimately led me Fantastic. into my role today. What a,
0: what a great background, and I can't wait to start our discussion because you have so much that you can share with our listeners. All right, so we're in the second month of the year. Hard to believe it already. It's flying by. What are you seeing in the housing market? What are some of the predictions you have?
1: That is a great question, and honestly, we are starting to see some of the shifts that those analysts have predicted starting to play out. Now, it's spotty. Some lenders are here. Some lenders are there. But we are really starting to see that starting to take place in the market. It really still is very much a seller's market right now. Interest rates, as you probably have seen, too, they're on the upward trajectory. So that is starting to happen and we also know we're seeing some refinances that are going down. But good news, purchase market is still remaining fairly steady. So that's that's the good part in this. The other thing is that we know the population of individuals that are starting to enter the market are going to be predominantly first-time home buyers. That's That's the big buzz out there right now. What are we going to do? How are we going to look at that? And I always say, I don't have a crystal ball, <laughs> but I wish I did because I would love to be able to tell you what the rest of the year will hold. I really don't know. But the one thing that I do know is the pandemic did show us how quickly things can change. And the other thing with that is that as this ma- macro environment continues to shift, you know, we need to make sure that we are focused on the more digital transactions and cloud-based technology-driven lending. That's a huge component as to how the lenders will remain agile even if these market headwinds start to come and really take hold. Borrower expectations, you think about the population of those first-time home buyers, they're also aligned with this very much digital lending concept. So flexibility, speed, efficiency, all critical and key, and lenders may feel start some, a little bit more pressure to meet all of these borrower expectations of this more efficient, seamless, and secure origination process or they may risk losing those borrowers. Oh, you to bring other up so many good
0: points. And I'm going to dive into the tech in a little bit more in a second. But, you know, we're talking about the market. Mm-hmm. You look at all the different economists, you know, some are predicting that refis will dry up by about 60%. New purchase market is going to increase 30%. Like you said, I don't have a crystal ball either. And I don't think they do, right? They're taking their best yes. guess. What we do know is refis are going to shrink. And we know that the purchase market should increase. Now, we don't know if those two are going to offset, if the market's going to constrict. But I want to go into, as we talked about, most people are saying there's going to be less volume this year than there was in 2021. And you started to touch Mm upon it, but I want to dive a little bit deeper. So what can lenders do then to leverage these new lending models and how can they use data so that they're more competitive? Because today's market is going to be more competitive. You've got those shrinking market and origination volumes. What can they do?
1: It's a great question. And Michael, really the key will be for lenders to layer the traditional credit score with other sources of data for decisioning. So in this market, lenders should want all the facts before making a loan decision. Quality data is available and it's from a variety of sources. You have automated income and employment that's direct from employers. You have consumer permission data such as bank account level information. And we're also aware of new data surrounding past rental history. So the combination of trusted data really does create the strongest and most reliable basis for assessing that risk when originating that loan. While credit reports, you know, they're going to remain a strong indicator of credit history, of course. But past financial reliability, so using current income and employment, will give that more complete picture for the loan applicant's financial stability. And so the good news is that many lenders are already taking advantage of this. Instant income and employment through the work number has been available for lenders for over 20 years. And in 2021, yeah, it's crazy, right? And, and in 2021, lenders helped nearly 22 million consumers secure a mortgage or home equity loan with the use of Equifax data. And that does include the real-time income and employment information from the work number database. And so this year, you know, lenders may want to put their sights on those first-time home buyers, like I was mentioning earlier. And just to put it into perspective, we know about 4.7 million, In this is the population consensus, is in that age bracket of where they will become a first-time homebuyer entering that space over the next few years. So lenders are really going to need to start paying attention to this because that will end up being their target market. And this millennial generation, they really want to solidify their place in the American economy and leveraging in income and employment verification and other data solutions like those offered by Equifax will become ever more important. They're a very unique group, and, you know, they have different demands and preferences from well, and different generations. Well, I think those direct
0: data sources help significantly. Not only do you get better quality data, mm-hmm. it also helps streamline processes. Like you talked about, in this new digital realm, I, I've mentioned it a number of times on this podcast, but there's the Amazon effect, right? I mean – I order a book, and if I don't get it by tomorrow, I'm kind of pissed off. Right. I mean, like, Like where is it? You mean I don't have it? I mean, I'm leaving on vacation tomorrow, or I'm going on a business trip, and I want to make sure that I have it. So that expectation for the consumer doesn't just end with consumer goods and buying on Amazon. They want to know, well, why didn't my lender get back to me quicker? Why do I have to submit all of this data? Why can't you pull the data from these other sources? So, I'd love how you're talking about the importance of data and leveraging that data intelligence to make a better and a more transparent and a more seamless borrower experience.
1: Absolutely, it's more than what I say. It's more than a (laughs) digital number.
0: All right, so from an affordability <laughs> standpoint, we've got to kind of address that. We've got rising interest rates. It's still yes. a seller's market, as you had mentioned, potentially still higher prices for homes, especially depending on different uh, demographic areas. You know, what does that mean for all of these first-time home buyers? I know you said there's going to be more of them and there's going to be over 4 million of them, but what mm-hmm. are some of the things that they can do to prepare and what, how do lenders better serve that target audience?
1: Absolutely. And you know, given that this is the first time home buyers and they are typically younger, I'd be tone deaf to say that affordability in this market as it now is right. isn't a challenge. Affordability will can increasingly be a challenge as those interest rates and prices rise, but remote work may expand search areas. So it could enable these younger buyers to find their first time, their first home sooner than they may have otherwise. And so from a lender's perspective, as these home prices continue to rise, the loan amounts are also rising. So jumbo loan sizes are bigger than what they have been before. So trusted income and employment data will help ensure employment and history meets the, loan, the level of the loan being assessed and needed for that first-time home buyer. But also, you know, one other thing, lenders shouldn't assume that a lower credit score informs whether or not a borrower can aff- afford a home. It's a new world, you know, nationwide increases in salary, new ways to work, side jobs, gig work, etc. Those are just some of the reasons why lenders may want to look beyond a traditional credit score. And so for this group, usually this younger population, as we've alluded to, they may not have the strongest credit scores, but from an income perspective, they can afford to pay a mortgage. So first time homebuyers, they're also the same ones that have been conditioned. We talked about this earlier, convenient, seamless, instant services. They want things fast, and that goes Ashley, the same for So you brought up so
0: many good things there. I hope our listeners are taking notes. I, I want to kind of go through a couple <laughs> of the things that you had mentioned because it's so important. For one, I think people do have to realize with remote work, it does expand the area that people can look for for home ownership. They don't have to be 5 minutes 10 minutes a half hour from the office and still produce so now the world is opened up to them especially in in the us of maybe i want to live somewhere else and maybe i want to be have a little bit more land and maybe i can find a little bit more affordability in looking at some of these other areas and i think that's mm-hmm. critical the other thing that you've mentioned and maybe we can you know emphasize this for our, our you know listeners is you talked about it's not just The direct income from that one job. They have side jobs. People are are doing Uber Eats and Uber drivers and they're doing all of these other things on the side and side gigs and everything like that. How does that get factored in when looking at someone's ability to pay for that mortgage?
1: That's a great question. And I think, you know, it goes with the history, right? And so we talked about the traditional credit score. Great. That's one component. But then bundling that with those other various data sources we mentioned earlier in the conversation, that's really critical into determining that. And so that bundled together is really going to be the package that the lenders really need to start looking
0: at. You know, and while there's a push, we've talked about it, faster information, quicker information, the Amazon effect,
1: Mm -hmm. there's
0: an equal push for making these decisions much less risky on the lender side. And that can be a challenge, right, as people are pushing for faster information, more timely information, why didn't you get back to me? What can lenders do, and how do they work with individuals on that credit side so that they're receiving monthly loan information immediately? But how do the lenders navigate those challenging waters to speed of access to information, but also quality to make those good, informed, and less risky decisions?
1: Michael, I am so glad you asked me this question. Depending on where you look, somewhere between 60 to 70 percent, and I'm gonna say that again, sixty to seventy percent of home repurchases have been linked to income wow. and employment fraud. That's like that's that's a big number. Yeah, I'm like, that's alarming. And we know there are situations where people in the industry are brushing off income and employment fraud or missing it by really not taking a closer look when the reality of the situation is that there are credible data sources, like we've talked about out there, to avoid such risks. It's really up to the lender to leverage these solutions. And, you know, Michael, I speak a lot with lenders. And just as an example, just last week, I helped a lender client uncover fraudulent and bogus employer data within their portfolio. It really wasn't a heavy lift on either party to do this either. They provided the necessary information. We were able to validate on our database with a short period of time. And really, that's the beauty of cloud plus technology. And the work number data, as we talked about earlier, it's a cloud-based solution. Our systems regularly undergo independent review for security controls to help meet those global standards. And it includes various general data security certifications also that we go through, um, you know from that perspective as well. Lenders, you know, they can get their verification needs without sacrificing customer experience, privacy, or operational efficiency. But what the cloud does do is it not only provides added levels of security, it also enable, enables that quicker time to close and a faster path to revenue. So our income and employment verification solutions they're designed to integrate with all of these digital technologies across many loan origination. Well, and let's talk about well.
0: that because, you know, one thing I'm seeing in the industry is I talk mm-hmm. to you, like you said, I talk to a lot of lenders myself. I talk to a lot of tech providers. There's a lot of players now trying to enter the verification space. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. But you as are these players very- enter. There's also somewhat of a cautionary tale. What makes the work number different, and and what should people be on the lookout for as so many of these new uh, services emerge?
1: You are very correct, Michael. There are other players entering the verification space, and first let me say, you know, when choosing a verification services provider, the onus of the due diligence lies with that lender. It's really their choice. They can go to whomever they, they choose to go to. And so, the, but what I can tell you is that the verification services provider should have the proper controls in place to meet standards and requirements related to data security and data quality. And that is one of the key differentiators for the work number. Our data comes directly from payroll providers and employers. It's updated each pay cycle, and we empower our clients with a variety of products to get the data they need for their specific use case in the industry. Consumer permission data through bank credentials is not a bad way to verify income and employment, but frankly, automated data through the work number is a better way to verify, my opinion. And through integrations with many loan origination systems and other delivery options, it primarily accomplishes three things. One, you know, it reduces the risk for the lenders and consumers. Two, it doesn't place an undue burden on the applicant or the borrower. And three, it really is just less clunky and a smoother well, process overall. And you overall. guys
0: have more than a 20-year track record just on that aspect. 20 of it. Years. So I mean, that makes a big difference. Um, when you can have the stability but still have the innovation and the technology, that I think is what really will impact lenders as they want to meet those speeds for the borrower, the expectations, but more importantly, they've got to do it in a way that is less risky. Like you had mentioned, that 60 to 70%, that number shocks me. So they, Huge. They've got yes, to make sure <laughs> that they're protected while still meeting the needs of the borrowers. They have to go hand in hand. Ashley, great insights. You and I could keep talking for hours. I love your insights and back and forth. What are some of the things you see as predictions for the rest of 2022? What should lenders kind of expect? What do you think is going to take place in the marketplace?
1: I I think we talked about this at the very start of of the podcast, right, Michael? But it really is refinances are starting to come down, purchases their remaining study, we may start seeing that uptick from what the analysts have predicted, but really just keeping that focus on the digital and how can they really automate their process and make it as frictionless as possible to remain competitive in the market. So those are the few things that I would end with and and leave the audience with. One last
0: question, Ashley. If people want to find out more about the work number and really just kind of have a discussion with you or your team on some of the things that we talked about in the podcast today, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you?
1: Of course, going to theworknumber.com. You can go out there and search about all of our solutions and products. Um, I'm also available via LinkedIn, so anyone can connect with me on there. And I'm happy to address any questions through that. Ashley, thank you so
0: much for being a guest on this episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Michael.